Welcome everyone to today's class. Before we continue, does anyone, anyone have any questions from the previous class at all? <clears throat> any clarifications? If so, you can ask it now. Carol, you okay? Yeah, any questions? Okay. So, a uh, quick recap. In the last chapter, we discussed the three states of consciousness. Three states of conditioned consciousness that all human beings go through, which are the waking, which we're in now, the waking state of consciousness, the dream state of consciousness, and a deep sleep state of consciousness. That's what the last chapter is about. And in the last class, we talked about the fourth state, the state of pure consciousness, the state of unconditioned consciousness, self-realization, the goal of all human beings. Why? Because that is our true personality, our real nature. And our mission in life is to pursue that goal until we reach that state. Until we become one with the totality, just like a river becomes one with the ocean. So what separates us from the fourth state? What separates us? Any idea? Anyone? What separates us from the fourth state? Yeah, Sushi. Uh, desires. Yeah, vasnas. desires, vasnas. So what separates us from the fourth state is our vasnas, which manifests as thoughts, and then it manifests as desires. So this keeps us attached to the world. Stops you think, stops you from thinking about this fourth state. So what do you have to do? Reduce them. This is what all spirituality is about. Only when you reduce your desires, you're able to withdraw from the world, even partially. And then you're able to think of that higher. It's the only way. As long as you have desires, vasanas, you'll be caught up in the three states of conditioned consciousness, waking, dream, deep sleep. So the self within you is the real personality, but it's covered with your vasana's desires. These are the impurities covering the self. Remember we gave the example, a copper vessel, it looks black because you had lots of impurities. You rub brasso and the impurities come off and you then have clean, shiny pot. 
So it's covered with impurities and you removed it. Similarly, our real personality, the self, is covered with impurities, which is vasana's desires. So how do we reduce our desires? Anyone? How do we reduce our desires? By seeking the higher, um, following education, educating yourself and seeking By the knowledge, knowledge, yes. And what we're going to discuss today. The free yogas, the practice of the free yogas. Actually, it's come, it comes up as the four yogas, but we'll, we'll go into it in more detail. So these yogas have been given to us in our scriptures to follow and practice. And we, when we follow this, we begin to reduce our desires. We said, why is it three yogas, we said? Anyone? Why three yogas? Bella? Body, mind, and intellect. We have three equipments. Physical body, the mind, and intellect. So we have three physical equipments, therefore three yogas. One for each of them. Any questions? Is everyone clear on that? Good. So now we start chapter 12, the four yogas. I'll, I'll go into detail why it's three or four. Um, you'll have a clear understanding uh, in, in, in one of the paragraphs. So Ravi will read today and then uh, we can uh, discuss in more detail. Four spiritual disciplines. Yeah, sorry, here we go. That's right. Four spiritual disciplines. Human beings are separated from Godhead, the supreme self by Vasanas. Vasanas manifest as thoughts and desires. Root out your desires, thoughts. Vasanas, you become one with Godhead. The union of your individual self with the supreme self is yoga. The merger of the conditioned consciousness, the ego with the pure, unconditioned consciousness. Yoga is derived from the Sanskrit root yuj. Yuj means to join, to unite. The Shastra scripture has prescribed four yogas for the eradication of vasanas. Bhakti yoga, path of devotion, Jnana Yoga, path of knowledge. Karma Yoga, path of action. Hatha Yoga, path of compulsion. So he's saying we are separated from the pure consciousness, God, our real personality, due to our vasanas, our desires, which we just talked about. So it would make sense that if we remove our vasanas, we would be reunited with our original nature. Yeah? Correct? So these four yogas have been prescribed to us to help us remove those vasanas, the impurities that keeps us from attaining our true personality. And the four yogas are the path of bhakti yoga, path of devotion, jnana yoga, path of knowledge. Jnana means knowledge, bhakti means devotion, and karma yoga, path of action. And the fourth one is Hatha Yoga, which you've probably all uh, heard of. 
path of compulsion, asanas, different poses. We'll explain why that's given. So th we just read it, but the real meaning of yoga, what does yoga mean? What does the term yoga mean? We all say, let's go yoga, but do you know what it actually means, yoga? Yoga means to join. When you're told to join, it means you have separated from something. So what have you been separated from? Your own Godhead. Your own original nature. That's what you've been separated for. You have strayed away from the self. Your true nature by your attachment to your body, mind, and intellect. So all attempts to get back to the self, to your original personality, is called yoga in Sanskrit. Yoga doesn't just mean poses and exercise. Yeah, Sanskrit means yuj. In yuj, it says. In English, we use the term religion. Religion is a Latin term, relagare, which means to reunite. To reunite again. So it's the same thing. So this is our mission in life, to reunite with our original personality by practicing the four yogas. Remember, God plus desires equals human. Human minus desires equals God. So this is the term yoga, to reunite. They've hijacked it to mean exercise, <laughs> the word. But it actually means to unite with yourself. Any clarifications? Okay, Marie. Paragraph two, please. These four spiritual disciplines have been designed to suit four distinct categories of humans, classified according to their inner nature. They, their natures depend upon the relative strengths of their mind and intellect. Thus, there are the emotional, intellectual, active, and the indolent classes of people. Following the respective discipline, an aspirant can gradually reduce his desires, prepares himself for meditation, leading to the ultimate state of, state of self-realization. So four yogas are given because there are four categories of human beings. And these categories are based on the quality of their mind and intellect. Their inner nature. Every person is different. Their natures are different. You have the emotional person, intellectual person, the active person, and the indolent. So indolent means a person who's lazy, inactive, no inspiration to do anything in life, just lazing around, doesn't want to get a job, doesn't want to do nothing, lie in bed, watch TV, 
So this is an indolent person. So a person, depending on their nature, would take up a particular yoga discipline out of the four, based on their nature. Is everyone clear? Yeah. Depending on their nature, they'll choose one of the paths. And when they follow this path, this will help them reduce their desires. And as they slowly reduce their desires, they will reach and gain that original nature, reach self-realization. So we now discuss the four different natures of human beings. See, then you can work out which one are you, which path do you follow. So we discuss the different natures and the different paths, yoga given to them in more detail. So once you understand this clearly, you're able to then take up the right discipline, the right yoga for your own nature. Yeah? Everyone with me? Great. Any clarifications? You all have desires. You all have vasanas. Different paths are given to you based on your nature, which is your mind and intellect. Okay, Ravi. The one who belongs to the emotional Kandra has the mind more pronounced than the intellect. His heart predominates over his head. He is more impulsive, emotional, devotional, less rational, intellectual, contemplative. He gives into his feeling and emotion. The mind rules his personality rather than the intellect. Such a person is designed for the path of devotion, bhakti, yoga. He would need a form, an altar, a personal god to pour out his love. His mind revels in the remembrance of the Lord of his heart. The devotion to his Lord displaces all other feeling and thought. Consequently, his mind is focused upon the higher. With sustained devotion, the devotee becomes free of his desires. So who is a devotional person? Emotional nature. This person's mind is stronger than his intellect. Yeah, we all know the differences now between mind, intellect, and the qualities of it. We've already discussed it. So a person who follows the path of devotion, bhakti yoga, his mind is stronger than his intellect. He's more impulsive, more emotional. This kind of person you'll find is not logical, is not much of a thinker. He won't question what is God. It's drawn to devotion, praying every morning, singing bhajans, going to temple, to have a temple at home follow all the precepts, fasting and different gods, holidays and today's Ganesha, today's Shiva. They will, do, they will follow all these things. So this is a devotional person. They would need a personal God. 
I'm a Krishna devotee. I'm a Hanuman devotee. Ganesha is my God. Rama, Shiva. Yeah, everyone with me? Devotional person. This person's mind is focused on the higher and all his feelings are towards his God. This is a devotional person. So bhakti yoga, the path of devotion, is given to a person of this nature. So with continued devotion, this person slowly starts reducing their desires. Does anyone know the difference between love and devotion? What's the difference between love and devotion? They're both the same emotion. But one is directed to the lower and one to the higher. So love is to the lower. I love my children. I love my brother. I love my husband. I love my wife. I love my dog. Love. Devotion is directed to the higher. I am devoted to my parents, devoted to my guru, devoted to my God. Yeah. So when that emotion is to something higher, it's called devotion. When it's to something lower, it's love. Yeah. So now you know the difference between the two. Any clarifications? Right. Ravi. The second type is the intellectual, whose intellect is more developed than the mind. His head predominates over his heart. He is more analytical, rational, less impulsive, emotional. His intellect controls the passions of his mind. He remains objective, does not succumb to his feeling and emotion, is logical in his approach to life. An inquirer perceives the distinction between terrestrial and the transcendental, but he will not be satisfied in merely oscillating, positing a personal God does not take things for granted. He needs logic and reason to accept anything. A person of such caliber is suited for the path of knowledge, Jnana Yoga. Following this path, he becomes rooted in the contemplation of the reality. Consequently, his mundane thoughts and desires drop off. So this is... Who takes the intellectual path? Jnana Yoga, this caliber of person. A person with these qualities follows Jnana Yoga. Intellectual nature. The intellect is more developed than the mind. Devotion, the mind was more than the intellect, more powerful. In this case, the intellect is more powerful than the mind. So this person is more rational, less emotional, is more objective. He's a thinker, an inquirer. 
He needs logic and reason to justify anything. I want to know what, God, what is God. Explain to me what is God. How do we know God exists? He wants some proof. Proof of the existence of God. He's not satisfied with just going to a temple and bowing down. He does not feel the same as a devotional person. See, the mind feels emotions, remember? His intellect is stronger than his mind. He wants logic and reason. You can't say to him, Krishna is in this temple. See, Hare Krishna movement, they're devoted to Krishna. They see him as their personal God. You, when you go to a temple and you meet their devotees, you can sense that devotion, that passion to, that, to Krishna. The way they chant, they sing. Intellectual can't identify with that. How by singing you can reach God? You can't understand. You can't identify with that. So for this kind of person, the path of knowledge, jnana yoga, is described. While he's thinking, contemplating on that reality, God, his ordinary thoughts and desires start falling away. Now, one thing you've got to remember, no one is 100% only one. Yeah? No one is 100% intellectual, 100% devotional. It's a mixture. But one will be more stronger than the other. Yeah? Someone's 100% intellectual is completely dry, no feelings. So it has to be a mixture. So you have to work out what are you? What percentage? So that's uh, Bhakti Yoga and Jnana Yoga. So what's Karma Yoga? We're going to find out. Let's Ravi disappeared. Ravi. The third type, classified as active, possesses a mind and intellect more or less equally developed. He could be sometimes emotional and at other times rational. He has a mixed temperament. The path of action, karma yoga, caters to such a person, where both the mind and the intellect are engaged. The mind surrenders to the higher ideal he works for, while his intellect channelizes action towards that ideal. Thus, with the mind and intellect set on the higher goal, he shed, sheds his worldly thoughts and desires. So the third type, who practices karma yoga, path of action, he has an active nature, meaning both the mind and intellect are equally developed, 50-50. So it's a mixture of being emotional and rational, intellectual. Sometimes it's de emotional, devotional, sometimes it's intellectual. His thinking, his nature is mixed. So for this kind of person, a path of action is given, karma yoga. He allows him to surrender his mind to the high ideal, to his God, and for the intellect to focus the action towards that ideal. Meaning, 
He does a lot of unselfish actions, serves his community, serving his temple. Example, Swami Narayan. They practice a lot of karma yoga. Their guru, Swami Nilkant, he went around India serving. Wherever he went, he served. I remember, and you probably know Swami Narayan people, uh, your friends. When it comes to the temple, they're first one there to serve. I remember when I was working in shop when I was a younger younger lad. My friend was a Swami Narayan follower. And the project for Nizden Temple was about to begin. And he asked to take three months off unpaid holiday so he can help in building the temple. And he said to me, if they don't give me the time off, I'll just leave. That's how strong their faith to service is. If they don't give me the time off, I'll leave. So, whilst practicing karma yoga, both your mind and intellect are engaged. Mind is on God, and your intellect is engaging the body to act towards that higher ideal. See, when you're doing this, what happens, your thoughts are somewhere else. And in that process, your desires are eliminated. You're not thinking of your desires. You're thinking of something higher. Do you understand? Your thoughts are elsewhere. How can I help? How can I serve? When you're, not, when you're, doing, when you're thinking in that way, you're not thinking of your own desires. But this is how it functions. Does everybody understand the three categories? Dipa? Good. So this fourth category, which most of you will, be will not be familiar with, we'll, we'll discuss that. The last category is the indulgent. Indolent. Indolent. In, sorry, indolent. The indolent lacks both head and heart. His intellect is purely developed. He can hardly think, <coughs> rationalize. No way conceived the existence of the transcendental reality, nor does his mind possess feeling, emotion, far from having devotion to bow down to any altar, deity or personal God. Hence, he cannot take in spirituality either through the mind or the intellect or the combination of both. That leaves him unfit to take up any of the above three courses. The only recourse left for him is to administer discipline forcibly through his physical body. Through the path of compulsion, Hatha Yoga, Hatha Hatha means force, oppression. Hatha yoga is therefore a discipline administered through force. It covers a schedule of physical exercises known as asana and pranayana, and a series of other practices involving self-torture, such as standing on one leg or holding up arms for long periods, inhaling smoke, 
and other such torturous practices. These are undertaken as spiritual practices. They help to draw the practitioner out of his indolence. Help the mind to start feeling, the intellect start thinking. He gradually grows to qualify for the other three spiritual courses. So the fourth category, indolent nature. This person lacks emotions and his intellect is undeveloped. So neither the mind or the intellect is there. He's not capable of thinking of God, never mind receiving any spiritual knowledge. His mind cannot feel emotions or have feelings. He's like a stone. He can't think. Selfish, lazy, damasic person. So none of the three paths are suitable for him. Neither bhakti, jnana or karma. So they even gave a path for a person like this. Path of compulsion, which is hatha yoga. He's forced to do physical exercise and other practices of self-suffering, meaning it's painful, it's difficult, not torturing. So what does this exercise do? Any idea? What does exercises do? It's meant to make you fit. Make you fit. It's meant. Huh? It, I, I suppose it's um, movement. It's to do with movement, so you don't become static. Yeah. Any? Okay. Deepa, you had something to say. Yeah. Yeah. It helps you to be disciplined to strengthen your mind. Yeah. As you're doing postures, you have to sit still and balance. Perfect. Bella, you had something to add? What Deepa said. <laughs> See, what this exercise do is wakes them up, gets them out of bed from that state of laziness, gives them a bit of discipline. As Shilabin said, gets them fit and makes them start thinking. It's a very low spiritual practice, but it's necessary for a person of that uh, nature. So slowly his mind starts to feel, at least he'll feel some pain getting out of bed <laughs> and doing these practices. He'll feel some pain at least. His intellect will start thinking a little bit. What am I doing here? Why am I going through this suffering? So he's activating that mind and intellect. And then slowly after continued practice, it will prepare them for one of the three paths. So, but this category of person is very rare. None of you are in that category, I must say, because you're all here. <laughs> so it's a very rare category. So this is why we normally refer to these practices as the three yogas and not four. Because only the first three paths helps actively reduce our desires. The fourth one, Hatha Yoga, doesn't really play a significant role 
directly to reduce your desires. Does that make sense? So that's why we normally say three yogas. You have to practice the three yogas to reduce your desires because they actively, there's a cause and effect. You practice this, the effect is you reduce your desires. Everyone understand the four categories? Good. Any questions? Yep, Kevin. Can you hear me? Yep. Um, so when we started, you said that uh, we as humans would obviously fall into one of these categories, but we might not fall 100% into a specific category. So does that mean that we need to practice all three yogas at different points, either in our life or time of the day, or, you know, when we have those, I guess, those things that, you know, that emotion, when, that, when that's high for me during the day, then I'll probably be, need to practice bhakti yoga. Is that how it works? Or? Um, very good question. And it's, the answer will come within the next two paragraphs. Okay. Yeah. No worries. But then if you still have a clarification, you can ask me, yeah? Okay. Before the end of class, you'll have your answer. Ravi. The four categories of human beings only indicate the preponderance of their respective nature. None would be wholly intellectual or emotional or combined or wholly lacking in emotion and reason. Hence, each category of persons would compromise a major portion of their respective nature with minor aspects of the other three. An aspirant has to primarily analyze and assess the proportions constituting his nature before he chooses his spiritual discipline. Thereafter, he needs to proportion the four yogas to suit his composite nature. First, the one categorized as intellectual would need pre-eminently jnana yoga, the path of knowledge, along with graduated portions of the other three yogas to fulfill the proportions of his remaining minor natures. So do the emotional and active categories need to concentrate mainly on their respective yoga and proportionately combine with the other yogas. While the in, indolent has to plunge into Hatha yoga with traces, practically nothing of the higher free disciplines, if an aspirant follows his methodic procedure, his spiritual development would be meteoric but hardly anyone understands the logic and reason for such an integrated discipline. And none follows any method or system in their spiritual life. Hence the world bitterly complains of the lack of spiritual development, despite their efforts in the spiritual field. So these categories is saying, show the main nature of a human being, a main nature of a particular person. No one will only be devotional or only intellectual. So he's saying you have to analyze your nature and then decide which one you are 
primarily? What is the main nature? What is your main nature? Then you follow that path. But you'll, have, you'll find that you have the other two traits, but much less, much less than the main one. So you'll practice a little bit of the other two, depending on how much of that is in your nature. So example, you're coming to this class, you will find you're predominantly intellectual. You'd follow the path of knowledge. So let's say you're 60% intellectual. We also need a bit of devotion, let's say 20%. Karma, 20%. So you'll practice the, in that proportion. So you have to analyze. See, if you are mainly devotional, you can't come to this class. You'll find it very difficult. You'll find it dry. What is this guy just talking about God? Where is God? I want to see a statue of him. I want to see a picture of him. He's just talking, talking, talking. They can't, I won't identify with that. Because they're not a thinker. They're not an inquirer. They need a physical idol. So therefore, most people in this class would be primarily intellectual. So he's saying if you follow the correct prescription after analyzing your nature, and you follow the right portion of the three paths, then the result you will be you will develop greatly on the spiritual path. So if you're not developing, it's because you're not following the right path. Most people are not aware of this formula. They follow whatever path that is given to them without thinking. It's not your fault, and it's not their fault. So if you're not putting the right effort in the right place, how can you develop spiritually? This is why the world is not developing spiritually. People are not developing spiritually. You're an intellectual. Every day you go in a mandir and just sit down and pray. How does it help you develop if you're, not an inter- if you're not a devotional person? It has no meaning to you. You may do it, but it has no meaning to you. It doesn't inspire you. It's like you can't give one medicine to all illnesses. You go to your doctor, he says, I've got pain in my neck. Here's paracetamol. You've got uh, runny eyes. Here's paracetamol. Yeah. Everything you cannot treat with paracetamol. You have to analyze the endless, prescribe the right medicine. Then you'll recover from whatever you're suffering from. Similarly, you have to analyze a person's inner nature, then prescribe the right formula of the three yogas. Is that clear? So do that. Do that now. Do that today then you will develop spiritually. And I'm presuming you all want to develop spiritually, otherwise you wouldn't be here, wasting your time on a Sunday morning at 10.30. <laughs> so use this knowledge to analyze your personality and then follow the right path. Then you'll see development. This is what they're saying. Any questions, clarifications? Shilabin, make sense?
Yes. Okay, thank you. Okay. Ravi. The human mind is congested with selfish thoughts and desires. Like cotton clogged with impurities, bits and pieces of extraneous matter stick firmly to cotton. One cannot pull them out easily. There is a special process for purifying cotton of its impurities. It is known as carding. The impure cotton is beaten with a card, an instrument used for the purpose. The mass of clogged cotton is thinned out with the beating. Fine fibers of cotton separate and fly about. The impurities sticking to it drop down by gravity. The pure fluffy cotton is collected. The same phenomena takes place in the mind. The human mind is plagued with egocentric desires. They cannot be easily removed. The practice of yoga helps to free the mind of its desires like carding frees cotton of its impurities. Yoga sets up a high ideal of self-development, culminating in self-realization. The mind is drawn towards the ideal. It expands into the vastness of the ideal. As a result, the selfless desires drop off. The mind becomes purified. Selfish desires drop off and then the mind becomes purified. So it's saying everyone's mind is full of selfish desires. Look, we said many times, everyone is selfish in different degrees. Yeah? This is the nature of all human beings. Everyone is selfish. Some more than others. So this path of the four yogas gives us a higher ideal in life to work towards. It liberates us from these selfish desires. So when you're practicing karma yoga, what are you doing? Anyone? What are you doing? Remember we said you all have selfish desires. When you're practicing karma yoga, what are you doing? You're not thinking of yourself or gain. You're giving out you're thinking of others how can i serve my temple how can i serve my neighbor how can i serve my friend how can i serve my school when you're doing that you're not thinking of yourself how can i serve myself your mind is on serving others you understand it helps you reduce your desires so you're doing it actively your thoughts and your thoughts the intellect is on god Bhakti yoga, what are you doing? We're trying to understand how following this path reduces your desires. When you're doing bhakti yoga, your feelings and thoughts are towards a god, whatever god you, you identify with. And as your feelings and thoughts become more focused towards that god, your thoughts and feeling towards the world Worldly things reduce, meaning your desires towards the world start reducing. Dhyana yoga, you're thinking, contemplating on the higher. What is God? How do I get there? 
And when you're thinking of that, you're not thinking of worldly thoughts, your selfish desires. So this is how these three paths work. See, you've got to remember, your desires are just thought flow. Vasanas manifest as thoughts, manifest as desires, manifest as action. The desires are just thought flow. If that thought flow is directed to something higher than worldly desires, then naturally the desires will fall away. You're no longer giving any fuel to that desire because you're not put thinking about it. You're thinking about something beyond this world, thinking of something higher. This is how it works. So you might be thinking, okay, if I do this, how will it get rid of desires? This explains everything. It's all scientifically designed and explained. 10,000 years ago, they came up with this. As you practice these disciplines, the mind becomes established in this higher ideal. And the result is the selfish desires start dropping. They start dropping off. So these three yogas helps to purify the mind. The impurity, as we said, are your selfish desires. Does that make sense? Chandy, make sense? Kevil? Ajesh? So how do you know you're developing on this path? How do you know you're developing on this path? Who's good at maths? How do you know? As you reduce your desires, we said, following the path of the three yogas, you start reducing your desires. How do you know? Is it uh, wanting less from the world? Wanting less from the world? Absolutely. If 25% reduction of your desires, meaning wanting less from the world, then you have developed spiritually by 25%. If 50%, you have developed spiritually by 50%. So you'll know you have less desires going towards the world. You're being satisfied with that thought flow on that higher, that devotion, reading, intellectual knowledge, on that higher, it satisfies you that you're not interested in the world as much. See, we all go towards the world to satisfy ourselves, to find happiness. Yeah, we buy things, we do things, we go places to satisfy ourselves, to find happiness, as we said. But if you're replacing that happiness with something else, you go and do some bhajans and it satisfies you. Someone says, let's go to a restaurant. No, no. You know what? I'm happy. I'm content. I don't want to go. I'm just fulfilled with devotion. You reduce your desires, hasn't it? You're fulfilling that happiness with something higher. You read the book. We're reading this Vedanta treatise. You read, and it fulfills you. It makes you feel good, satisfies you. You'll have no, you, you won't, nothing else will satisfy you. It's the highest form of pleasure. So you're reducing your desires. So you'll be aware of that. 
you'll be less inclined to do certain things that you're used to doing. So this is this is how you realize you're developing. Does that make sense? Only when theory becomes practice, you will experience it. You have to practice it. Okay, Ravi. Thus with constant practice of the yogas, the mind is rid of all desires, except the ultimate desire for self-realization. It no more rushes to the world, it turns introvert. An introvert mind alone is qualified to meditate and attain spiritual enlightenment. So as the mind becomes purified of your desires, your thoughts, instead of going towards the world, starts moving inwards. You're thinking more of the self. Atman, Brahman, what makes me function? Right now, your thoughts are mostly towards the world. You want the world to fulfill your desires. But as the desires start to drop off, you're now your thoughts are going within. Become more introverted. Your mind becomes more meditative. And you keep practicing and practicing and practicing. There is only one desire left, which is for liberation, self-realization. And when you reach that stage, you're ready for meditation. A slow process. Might take you a few lifetimes if you start now, but you will get there eventually. <laughs> you have to start. Make sense, Sushi? So you can't argue with this subject. Everything's done scientifically. They have an answer for everything. Because they sat in these caves meditating and going inwards. How do I function? What is this mind? What is this intellect? And they, they come up with these answers. They know how the human being functions completely. So only when one desire is left, which is for liberation, meaning nothing in the world interests you, then you're ready for meditation. Ravi. Meditation is the final gateway to self-realization. The practice of the yogas takes you up to the gateway. The different disciplines purify your mind of worldly thought and desire. The mind becomes qualified for concentration and meditation. Without preparing the mind, the practice of meditation is a mockery. You cannot run before you can crawl. One cannot really meditate unless the mind is cleansed of its desires. This is a law. Both the preachers and the practitioners of meditation are ignorant of this fundamental law. The plunge into meditation without the initial preparation, they are lured into 
it because of the apparent initial feeling of peace it creates. Not realizing that the peace gained is temporary. It soon wears away. Another reason for people rushing into meditation is that its procedural details are simple, easily communicatable. Far removed from the protracted deep study and reflection on Vedanta truths, which is difficult to convey and whose efforts are slow, practically in discernible. In, in dis discernible. Hence, the temporary effect of meditation has been exploited to a point of absurdity, which has resulted in a worldwide craze, a mania for meditation. So what he's saying is, you cannot med meditate until you have got rid of most of your desires. Because your mind cannot concentrate. As simple as that. Anyone who's tried to meditate, you know it's very difficult to concentrate. Your mind keeps jumping one thought to another. You know, that's why they say monkey mind. You're chanting, Om, Om, Om. Next minute you're thinking, Om, Om, Om. I must remember to sort out that leak. I have to empty the bins. I have to do this. What am I going to cook next week? Mind is gone. So trying to meditate with an unprepared mind doesn't work. This is what it's saying. You have too many desires. You can't control them. The mind is unprepared. So people don't know about this. They're saying it's a law. You go into meditation. People go into meditation because it gives instant results of peace. This is why people do it. And it's easy to do. But he's saying it doesn't last for long. Because the mind will go back to its normal state. Some people do go into meditation because it is easy to practice. You only have to come to one class. I'll teach you the mantra, Om, 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 sit properly, sit quietly, no, no, make sure no one's around, sit on a nice pillow, cushion that's comfortable, cross your legs, chant this mantra, Keep or, or think of the breath coming out of your nose, concentrate, concentrate, you're now meditating. Your husband shall, hey, where are you? Where are you? Mind is gone. See, people can't put in the effort to study, reflect, think about the scriptures. The effects are too slow. It takes a lot of effort. People aren't willing to do that. They want instant results. But what they don't realize is that the Effects are more permanent. You practice, you uh, exercise your intellect, you teach it to control the mind's vagaries. The effect is longer. So meditation has become wrongly exploited in the world. It's become a craze. Look, now you have to remember, I'm not saying that if you're meditating right now, I'm not saying stop. 
If it's helping you deal with everyday life, then please don't stop. What we're trying to do is understand the correct purpose of meditation. This is the right purpose for it. This is why it was invented. It's a gateway to self-realization. See, when they discovered this process, let's think about it. Let's go back 5,000 years. The sages who reached the fourth state, they were already withdrawn from the world. They had no stresses. They had no issues in life. They didn't need to come home after a hard day at the office. They didn't have a mortgage to pay. Life is different now. People are suffering from stress, anxiety, lots of pressure, lots of desires, mortgage, COVID, kids. They didn't have all that. So for you, if sitting in a corner quietly for a few minutes calms the mind, helps you deal with all these pressures of life, then you should carry on. It's a different era now. But understand the true purpose of meditation. Any questions? You're saying it's still okay to um, practice meditation and, and teach it uh, for the modern society of the, as in the stress we have today. Is it right? Are we Absolutely. The wrong thing? No, no, not at all. Because they're using it for different purpose. It's helping them deal with stresses of life. As we said, thousands of years ago, they didn't have all these stresses. Yeah. People were relatively satisfied. Three meals a day, they went farming or did whatever they did. Three meals a day, they're happy. They didn't have so many desires. They didn't have all these stresses. Look, even 20 years ago, the stress people are suffering from now is different from what it was 20 years ago. This is one of the main things they tell people, isn't it? Mindfulness and, you know, yeah. you know, be present, you know, for depression, anxiety, whatever, which is like you say, the modern thing. Stress yeah. is, um, that's what's coming up again and again. That's why. Yeah. So this is a mechanism of coping with modern life. But what we're saying is it's temporary. It's like putting a plaster on a wound. The wound won't go away. If it's an open wound, it will not go away by putting a plaster. It's temporary. It'll help them, but it's temporary. It won't get rid of their problems. The problems are coming from internal. Too many desires. They're not being fulfilled. Work pressures, kids' pressures, all so pressures. When we, when we See, yeah, obviously, uh, they, they, they're saying, oh, I don't want to drink now. Um, I don't want to eat meat now. So they must be doing. Some clearing, no, when we're when in that state, or what do you think? What we're saying is that it's superficial, and it depends on the kind of meditation they're doing, what level they're doing, what depth they're doing. It's very different. But what we're saying is that meditation today is not being used for the purpose it was invented for thousands of years ago. That's all we're saying. Okay. Yeah. This is what the real purpose of meditation was. It was a gateway to self-realization. When you have your last desire to reach that state, you concentrate, meditate, and then it flips over into that fourth state. 
this is the purpose of meditation. The meditation where people are doing now is different and it's for a different purpose altogether. This is what we're saying. And that's why I said, if you're doing it and it's helping you, then don't stop. Is that okay? If it helps you deal with pressures of life, then why not? Becomes make you a calmer person, less angry. Why not? What is meditation? Anyone? When you're meditating, what are you doing? Coming to the present moment. Present moment. Anything else? Become one with yourself. More one with yourself. Okay. These are general terms. I want to know specifics. Patch from Dipa. Sorry, Dipa. You're going inwards. You're going inwards, absolutely. What else? Elevating yourself. Elevating yourself. The next You're level. all telling me general things, but not exactly what happens when you meditate. Dipa. So you're trying to connect with your inner self. Yeah. Meditation is the art of the intellect keeping the mind focused on a single thought to the exclusion of all other thoughts. Remember that today. When you're meditating, the intellect keeps the mind focused on whatever mantra you've chosen. Om, Om. When the mind shifts to something else, the intellect say, hey, where are you going? Come back. Om. Om, the mind drums something else, intellect pulls it back again. Om, Om. So the intellect keeps the mind focused on a single thought to the exclusion of all other thoughts. Only then you can become one with yourself. Only then you can go inwards. Only then all the things you've said you can do. But this is what you have to do. This is the actual practice. Every time the mind tries to slip into another thought, the intellect kicks in and brings it back to that one thought. So that's why it's a discipline. You have to practice. It's a procedure. It's the highest skill that you can acquire and practice. Ravi, last paragraph, please. Do you realize that meditation is the highest technique that a human being can learn and practice? It is the most specialized art skill, which requires a well-prepared mind freed from worldly attachments and desires. Only a qualified mind can be trained to meditate. Meditation is the art of keeping the mind in sharp focus upon a single thought to the exclusion of all other thoughts. The mind maintains a silent chant of a mantra, word, word symbol under the supervision of the intellect. The intellect does not allow the mind to slip into any other thought. The steady, single-pointed, conscious mental absorption in a single thought is meditation. Meditation practice thus leads you to the ultimate state of self-realization.
So when you practice meditation, the skill eventually leads one to self-realization. Now, don't ask me how it leads there and how does it happen. It's a, a procedure, and we will go into it, the whole mechanics of how it jumps from this state to the fourth state, but that would be another class. So any clarifications to anything we've covered today? Is everyone clear on the four yogas? How to apply it? How to analyze your personality? What am I? How do I administer what I need to do? Which path to follow? Only you can answer the question. You have to think and sit quietly, preferably in the morning, between four and six, and then think about it. And uh, experiment. And you know how to uh, see if you're right. Your desires will be reduced. Any questions? So meditation doesn't reduce your desires. So it's still difficult to reach where you need to be, right? It depends where you need to be. What is your goal? Shilavan? To feel free from free. all desire. So med it's saying meditation does not do that, no. No. Yeah. It does not free you from desires. The free yogas frees you from desires. See, you can't meditate 24-7, can you? No. If you can, then yes, you will free you from desires. Because you're not thinking of anything else but just meditating. But we have, to, we have to live in the world. Yep, that's difficult. We gotta, yeah, we've got to feed your You have to feed your partner, your kids. <laughs> These are all desires. <laughs> I won't say it's all the desires, but it's it's part and parcel of life that we do it as a daily activity. What you is? Need, you, if you want to be free, I suppose you could just, right, I'm leaving and I'm going to be by myself and then live a life on our own terms. If your desire for liberation is such and no other desires, your strong desire is to free yourself from this world, you will leave everything You'll rent a cave in the Himalayas and you'll be sitting there saying, Don't, no one come and see me. I'm finished from this world. Yeah. Yeah. If your desire is that strong, you will do it. People have done it. So is Samadhi the same thing when people say they've gone into Samadhi? Yeah. Same thing. We've got the book. It actually the last page before the next chapter. There's a diagram. Samadhi means self-realization. What page? 
Uh, my book is different. Large, last page of this chapter. It shows Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Jnana Yoga. Three paths leads to withdrawal from the world. When you withdraw from the world, you can concentrate. When you can concentrate, you can meditate. When you meditate, you reach samadhi. Samadhi means self-realization. So when you're ready, then you can do that. Is that okay, Shilabin? Yeah, getting there. Yeah. So we first have to concentrate on reducing our desires. This is what it's all about. Yeah, Ravi. Well, concentrating and following the various yogas that's on our nature, whether it's devotional, karma, or knowledge, or mixture of all. And as you work towards you know, reducing your desires to then obviously get to at peace at one, but you also at the same time have to fulfill your ob obligations, do you not? Yeah, as absolutely. You I mean, absolutely. obligations are not necessarily desires, but you know, you're obliged to, i.e. be a father to a son or a you know, husband and so forth. So you've got absolutely. to fulfill those as well. Absolutely. We've created our luggage, our baggage. We have to carry it. These are obligations. You're absolutely right. We have to deal with those things. Once we've dealt with it, then we can carry on. I'm right. What is saying, your goal? I mean, my goal, obviously, or whoever's goal, is to be less selfless and be yeah. more with one. Yeah. So it's a progress. It's a process. This is what we're saying. It's a process. Reducing your desires is a process. How many desires you have? You know, you can have X amount. Your partner can have half of that, 10% of that. Where is your beginning? Where are you starting from? You want to get to Scotland. person starting from Manchester is going to get there quicker than you getting, leaving from London. Yeah. So where is your starting point? And, that's, and how much effort are you putting in? Okay. So this is this is how it works. They've, they've, they've told us this is how it is. This is what a human being is. This is what he's made up of. This is what you need to do. This is your goal. The rest is up to you. How much effort you put in. You can agree with it or disagree with it, but you have to try it out and then decide. Any other clarifications? Good. So, uh, next class, we look at Bhakti Yoga, Jnana Yoga, and Karma Yoga in a bit more detail, and how it leads to that fourth state. So if you have any questions, uh, Wednesday, we can answer them. Please think about it, read about it, and make sure you understand it clearly. It's important that you understand it for, so that next stage when we go move to the next level, you have a, a clear understanding and a solid foundation. Otherwise, you'll get bored of it.
Yeah. Great. Okay, guys, thank you for joining us today.